Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Carrie Hummingbird Sami is a soul guide, shamanic energy healer, and an award-winning best-selling author. Her work spans way over two decades as a healer, as a facilitator of empowerment, as well as holding key positions in leadership, inspiring over 150 artists at one point in her career to open their studios to the public when she was an executive director at a nonprofit in California. Her award-winning books include From We to Me, Emerging Self After Divorce, Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love, The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama, and her latest treasure that every woman truly should pick up and read, and man, Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound. It is not what you think. And she's here to talk about it. I'm so happy to have her. Carrie Hummingbird, what can I say? You're on the podcast. It's great to have you. You're you're my soul sister. You're my, uh, my uh, what do they call it? Karunda, the uh, medicine women, fellow medicine woman. Karundera, yeah. Karundera, my fellow Karundera. Oh, we have so much to talk about and so much I want these listeners to soak up and marinate on, so... We talk about in the introduction, my introduction of you, I talk about this book called Love is Fierce and how it's really a book, in my opinion, that everyone should read, especially women, of course, because we're talking about healing the mother wound. But of course, that can apply to every human being, because as far as I can tell, everyone's been birthed by their mother, (laughs) not someone else. Yeah, I don't know a lot of people that were birthed other ways. So until I gain some uh, novel information, this book is really um, just, it's a salve for everyone to heal that deep wound that not just they may hold individually, but we hold collectively as a a human species. So I want to, I want to start by talking about in the beginning of your book, more or less, you, you introduce a wonderful tenant about really taking personal responsibility. And you comment on how we may not personally have created the conditions on this planet in our lives, but we are response able. And I love that you brought this up. And I think it's really important to talk about for a moment that we are all response able for the decisions, choices, and actions that can actually literally build a new foundation, a new earth, a new tomorrow, a better tomorrow. And it really takes, as you say, a rewiring of your individual consciousness. And the reason I wanna bring that up as a sort of foundational sort of start off point is because until you rewire your consciousness, you're not gonna care. You're not gonna see how you are a part of this tapestry of humanity, how you actually have the power as one individual to create a spark in the river of change. 
So I just wanted you to comment on that because I think it's really worthy of note. Yeah, well, this is an important concept individually, but also collectively, because we've coming out of thousands of years of power over and control over. Mm -hmm. And in that paradigm, there is this sort of idea of not asking questions, not taking responsibility, kind of staying in line, towing the line, doing what you're expected to do and all that kind of stuff. And as we shift into the age of Aquarius, we're really talking about shifting into personal um, sovereignty, which leads itself to a more authentic representation of unity in the collective as each person steps into their sovereignty. And so in order to get to that place, their first step along the path of sovereignty is taking responsibility for your personal journey and knowing that, um, you know, it's a different, it's a soul level view, I suppose, on life's journey and um, the things that we're experiencing. But essentially it's a shift out of thinking something's happening to you, which is a victim consciousness perspective, which is, you know, kind of been hammered into everybody's brains for thousands of years. So it's no wonder that people have these ideas because it's been hammered home for so long. You know, of course you think that's the way it is because you've been told that's the way it is. You've been told you're powerless and small and you can't do anything about it and just suck it up and all of this. But actually what we're doing now is saying, okay, there has been abuse. There has been control over, there has been force, there has been violation, there has been all these things. All of us have experienced some flavor of that. And in order to move to sovereignty, then we have to take responsibility for the healing of those things in our own lives and in our families and in our ancestry and and going forward collectively. So it's each person's invitation to step towards sovereignty by claiming that responsibility to be an agent of change first with yourself and then like I said in your family your ancestry and your collective so it's it's not about being wrong or to blame for it um we're, that's the victim consciousness model is putting blame someplace like that that's part of that old model this model is more like accepting everything that's happening as part of what must have been desired on the level of your soul in order for it to even happen because our souls are sovereign. Now, as human beings, we're learning to be sovereign, but the soul itself is has always been sovereign and is always going to be sovereign. It's just part of the soul experience to be sovereign and it can be no other way. So we're, what we're doing is we're aligning to that understanding out of a different understanding that was a personality-based understanding up until now. So, you know, we're gonna see a lot of shifts as people step into sovereign soul on yeah. the planet from body. Absolutely. And you can see that happening right now, today, in real time with what's going on with uh, all kinds of external forces that we don't need to go into. But people listening to this, and especially at this time, <laughs> September 10th, 2021, I think we can grasp what's going on and get, 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 a, get a sniff of where we're, what we're referring to. Well, to that point, I want to just read something from your book um, in regards to power. And this is from, I believe, um, the, the channeling that you were receiving in the beginning of your book. And is it from the White Buffalo? White Buffalo Calf Woman. Yes. Yes. Which is, she's a Lakota teacher, actually. She's a 
divine goddess that appeared to the Lakota. So I was very surprised that she came to me because I'm, my ancestry is Celtic and Cherokee. So I wasn't expecting that, mm. but I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm the available channel. So I guess I'll go ahead and write the book. You know, if you need somebody to do it, sure. I'll say yeah. yes. Yeah. And it's very powerful what she says, but I'll just read a little snippet here. And she says, women, no one can honor you until you first honor yourself and restore the sacred to your vessel. No one will give you honor because of the fear of a woman standing in her power. Remember back to the second scout and the story she shares. Remember back to the second scout who treated me with respect because of his fear of how I turned his fellow into dust. The reason why men have subjugated women on earth for centuries is from this same fear, the fear of your power. I mean, that to me just sums it up right there. How many women do you know? How many women do you see in your practice, just like I do, that actually are anchored in total empowerment? None. And I can speak for myself too. I feel very empowered as a woman, but am I fully anchored in my absolute sovereign power? I don't think so. I'm getting there, but it's just this unraveling of years and years and years of, of conditioning in this lifetime. And as you say, in many lifetimes. So I would love if you just kind of go into that and how did you, how did you start to cultivate this trust of your own power, this activation of your own power, this dissolving of the fear of your own sovereign power? That's such a good question. And the whole time you were speaking, what was coming to me is that the journey to your sovereign power as a woman is completely about extricating yourself from um, codependent connections, from entanglements, from books of law and rules and roles and things you should and shouldn't do and all the ideas that have been inherited by yourself and your ancestry passed down to you and in the collective, in the collective consciousness, it's almost like a stripping bear of like every single thing you find as you become aware that is stripping you of power, you strip it off. And so that means, you know, and, and the title of the book is Love is Fierce. And there's a reason for that. It's because in order to restore loving connection for yourself, in authenticity and the truth of yourself, you have to be willing to let go of all of your dependent connections. Like anything that you feel safe because that thing is there, but actually it's impeding your ability to be honest with yourself or to express authentically, you've got to let it go. And that includes family. That includes so many things. Now, not to say that you get rid of your family, but just that you have to be willing to be disowned you Mm. have to be willing to be abandoned and ostracized and shunned and excluded and all because those are dynamics that happen in human systems to keep conformity and to maintain the system of um you know where you're powerless and some people have power over you Mm -hmm. those systems are in place because they've been ingrained in our consciousness to be in place and so to be sovereign love is fierce, it requires you to step out of all of those places that you're getting some measure of security by tapping into something outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, it's like, it's very, um, 
there's so many layers of it. Um, I, I mean, I'm not a man, so I can't really speak from the male perspective on this. I can just speak from the female perspective. I know we're all deconditioning right now, but it just feels like this feminine deconditioning is extra vulnerable and um, requires a lot of courage to let go of these things as they are discovered, you know, and, and even like coming to terms with awareness on, hey, it's not, it's, it's only been normal that women's periods have been shamed, for example. It's only been normal because that was a control tool to keep women ashamed of their bodies and to keep women, you know, in hiding of their, because they're bleeding, you know, and to shame a woman's cycle. Like that's even, even the recognition of that, which at a deeper level, when you actually start to consider it, it's like, well, why do I shame myself for having a period? Like why, why did I shame myself through my life for this? Or why did I get embarrassed by it? Or why? Well, because those are all programs. That's right. To to make you ashamed of your own body. And if you're ashamed of your body, you're not going to be in harmony with it. It's hard to embody with it fully when you're ashamed of it. So like that, I mean, there's just so many, that's just one small, and that's not small, but that's one small aspect, right? Like that's a huge aspect and there's like so much more. That's a huge aspect. And yes, there is so much more. And um, there's an aspect of that in, I think, every single human being. And it's just like uh, you mentioned in your book, this um, this sort of factoid that, you know, this exists in everyone, whether we kind of want to admit it or not, just like I had a, a guest on last week, Milagros Phillips, who teaches uh, race illiteracy. And she talks about how, you know, we really are all race illiterate based on our own filters, our own experiences, and that forms our perceptions. And even as I was talking to her, I go, I'd as someone who is not prejudiced at all, of course, and, and I see humanity beyond color, but yet, and I say, gosh, I'm not race illiterate. And I go, well, wait a minute. No, I, th- I think I am. I, I, because based on my experience growing up as a white woman, I'm going to have a different experience when I'm reading about the Native American Indians or the experience made, they, they, the experiments they did on these rural city you know, areas with these farmers or these um, African-Americans. I'm going to have a different experience based on my, the color of my skin, of my upbringing. So just as we are all race illiterate, we all have the same wounds and they just, they bleed the same, but they have different colors and different curriculums. Well, I love how you mentioned in your book, which I think is another important aspect. It's that you talk about, you invite to pretend as if you were born or birthed by a mother who, was knowing of her power and her truth. And I think that's a great invitation just right now for people listening. Like with everything that you have suffered in your life, just take a moment and think, was I birthed by a woman without of course any judgment at all, but just for consideration, were you birthed by a woman who was rooted and anchored in her knowing and her truth? And if not, then there's forgiveness to be had, particularly of self, first and foremost. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, this is an important, really important concept because 
the womb is when a baby is being formed in the womb the baby is being formed in the consciousness of the mother because on the inside the baby is picking up empathically and telepathically all of what's going on inside the mother so the mother's condition is extremely relevant to the baby's consciousness and so if you um consider that we've had thousands of years of abusing women in various ways like shaming them and um, telling them they're they shouldn't speak and you know your value is in your looks or whatever you know there's I, I could list off about a zillion different abuses then to think that those abuses don't get passed on to the children is rather idiotic you know and you know so now here we are and people wonder why most people would affirm that they have one of the five, you know, core wounds. Like I don't feel loved. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel wanted. I feel abandoned. I, I feel separate. I don't feel um, cared for. I'm not, I'm not cherished. Like, you know, whatever. Those are core wounds that just about everybody could say that they have at some level, some version of that. And why? Because we've all been birthed by mothers who have been abused for like ancestral history of abuse of women that then birth people into existence with those same wounds. So why, why do you think that we have a population that's like um, so disconnected from the earth that we would, you know, take actions that actually are ending up potentially killing us as a species because we're so disconnected? And because we feel so unworthy of this gift of life that we get self-destructive and try to, you know, um, kill ourselves basically in effect by ignoring all the things that are going on. Like there's just, it's, it, when you start to really consider it, you can see how um, there's very few women on this planet who were healed when they gave birth. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the closest version to that would be people from indigenous communities that kept their traditions alive through the Western expansion. So Western-minded people from European countries expanded across the globe with their certain brand of wounding and abuse and then permeated cultures, right, right, that were existing. And some of those cultures were able to keep themselves distinct enough from this um, expansion that they were able to maintain their customs. and. Many of those cultures um, were matriarchal or at least respected and honored the vessel that children were being, you know, created within because they honor Pachamama, Mother Earth. So one and the same, you know, if you honor the Earth and you honor Mother Gaia, Pachamama, whatever word you want to use, you're also going to be more likely to be honoring the feminine and its vessel form, which is a woman. Mm-hmm. And you'd be much more likely to understand the importance of honoring the woman so that when you are creating a, a baby inside that woman, that you understand the woman's consciousness is being passed to the baby. And that's why it's so important to be so grateful and honoring of the woman's vessel. And, you know, um, that's why I was really grateful to be able to study with the Caro people um, because they understand that. And yeah, there's some Western inf- influence into that culture you know it's nothing's totally separate anymore but at least there is enough reverence for mother earth that there can be um 
an honoring of a woman's uh, vessel and her own choices. Mm. You know, and I would say that even in, in Western society, we might think we have that, but you can take a quick look at, you know, our laws on the books and the recent debates over the last few weeks and even on my home state, Texas, things that were passed and you can go, oh, well, we actually don't honor women's bodies. We actually have a very low, dis- we have a low regard for women's bodies because we're taking away choice. Without a doubt. Uh, going back to working with the Camus people, what was the greatest takeaway, if there is one? You know, the greatest takeaway for me is just how connected to Mother Gaia these um, indigenous cultures are mm-hmm. and that they are grateful for their vessel, their bodies. They're grateful for their food. They're grateful for their homes. They're grateful for their family. They're basically grateful, you know? And I needed to learn that lesson of gratitude because I was so not grateful. Like I was a complainer, you know? I mean, I sat in psychotherapy for two decades complaining about my life and bitching and moaning and, you know, and, and like wanting it to be better, like authentically wanting it to be better, but like having a really hard time breaking free of my victim consciousness and my own like dissatisfaction with my, with my life because something was missing really deep inside of me. And I couldn't find that on the outside, no matter what I did to feel good on the outside, it like just never made me feel good. It was always something like not being full up. Like I was hungry. I was hungry for something and I didn't know where to get that hunger filled. And as a result, I had like yo-yo diets and, you know, I'd gain 60 pounds. I'd lose 60 pounds. I'd get strict with myself for a while and I'd lose weight and then I'd gain it all back because I got emotionally independent. You know, I mean, I, I drank tons of wine. I mean, I was the poster child of pretty much Western ways of handling emotional dissatisfaction when really all of that has to do with disconnection. It's just, it's really about being disconnected from your heart and disconnected from the earth and not grateful. You know, it's a lack of gratitude. It's actually a pervasive disease in our culture. Absolutely. And I just can think of, you know, 10 people in my circle that do that very thing and claim that they're really connected. And again, no judgment, just as a neutral observer you know, standing in the loving and witnessing this sort of um, in real time disconnection happening and how it's uh, um, affecting their lives and keeping them in their suffering. And it's difficult as a teacher myself to recognize that that's not my place to step in. It's not my place to be the savior. It's my place to allow them and give them the dignity of their own process. And if they reach out and ask for advice, then of course I'll offer it, but I don't want to give that, just impinge my will upon someone. That's not not something to do. Um, How did you carry, and I know this is a complex sort of answer, but how did you overcome your abuse? especially someone who at very, very, uh, at a very, very young age was sexually abused. And you would think on paper, most people that have experienced what you've experienced would certainly maybe consider taking themselves out or, you know, going down a path of deep destruction until there's no life left. How did you rise above the ashes, if you will? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I had a really rocky zero to five. You know, my mom married somebody who was, um, I was born in 1969, so summer of love, you know. So my mom was from Midwest Texas and was raised Southern Baptist and saw a lot of hypocrisy in the church. So she kind of just threw out God and everything with the bathwater and was like, all of this is bad and I don't like it. And so she moved to Dallas and that's where she met my natural father. And he was, um, you know, he had his own abuse story. He was very abused by his mother and um, left outside of hotel rooms while she met with men and things like, just terrible stories about this little toddler just left to his own devices. And so of course he ended up being wounded, right? Because his mother was wounded. And so he ended up uh, facing those um, childhood wounds. And when he met my mom, they didn't, my mom didn't think she was gonna get pregnant with me. You know, she, she was told she couldn't get pregnant. Mm. So when I got pregnant, when she got pregnant with me, and all of a sudden here's this baby, she's like, uh-oh, this isn't going to work out very well. You know, this man is really not suited. And um, so he ended up, um, yeah, he ended up starting to molest me. And my mom wasn't going to wait for proof, you know, because the court systems at that time in Texas, they required proof of the abuse. So like Mm -hmm. pictures of me being abused before they would go, oh, yeah, she's being abused. What the heck? So my mom's like, no, thanks. So she took me out of there and she was thought she was bringing me into a safer place, but she actually brought me from the fire into the another fire with a man who was a uh, violent drunk seemed like a nice professional guy he was like six foot five or something you know six foot three six foot four and and he was just as he, he ended up being just a violent drunk he tried to kill my mom in front of me so like lots of really scary um things happening to me zero to five and you like that whole formative time you know when you think gosh this is this is the formation of my child's brain you okay. know this is like how she's going to live her life. So the saving grace happened because my mom, my mom never let it stay there. Right. So my mom always stood in the way of the abuse. I was abused. I'm sure like physically abused at some point, but my mom took most of the abuse, which by itself was pretty traumatic to know that it was because of you, that your parent, your mother, your beloved mother is getting abused and almost killed. Right. It's just, it's, there's just no two ways about it. It's a scary time for a young person to go through that kind of thing. But then my mom met Mr. Wright. So she, you know, three times a charm and she met my dad. And my dad was a very um, powerful presence of love in our family for until he passed away three years ago. So from from my age five until three years ago, my dad was just like so present. He was the guy who, um, you know, dogs would just like climb on top of you know if he came into the room all the dogs would be like in his lap you know because he was that that guy and he helped me to rewire some of the patterns so you know that was still in my zero to seven so I still had two more years I could be um, given some positive programming before I switched into my emotional development cycle because you know zero to seven is really your your um kind of their hard wiring and so I had that two years with my dad and then of course the ensuing lifetime with him that really helped because um what I saw was that I had three different models of father like I had I had one mother but I had three different models of what father looks like Mm -hmm. relationship looks like mommy daddy looks like like father figure looks like like they were radically different ideas So what I ended up being able to do in my life, what I noticed was I was pulling at different times, I would pull one of those patterns, right? So 
I would marry one person and pull this pattern up and then I would get involved with somebody else and pull this pattern up and you know and then I, I would pull a positive pattern up but then maybe I didn't stay with it so it was always like who is Carrie going to date next like is it going to be one of the healed ones or is it going to be one of this mess right but we have to go through that in order to heal we have to be able to um face the shadows we've got to you know those relationships I had that were along the lines of the wounding they were really important for me to heal the underlying wounding um in my own psychology and to make a decision like am I going to be mistreated am I going to be abused or am I going to stand up for myself right so my big journey was to stand up for myself and I'm sure excuse me I'm sure you would have not had that opportunity to stand up for yourself if you weren't dragged through the mire in those really shitty relationships, you know, where <clears throat> you invited that in through your mirroring of consciousness, right? It's like the law mm-hmm. of attraction. You attract exactly where you're, how you are resonating. I actually see it as more of the law of resonance than the law of attraction because it's really, or the law of radiating, right? It's like how you are radiating energetically is exactly what you're going to attract like a magnet. And so those relationships that you had were the perfect teachers so that you could come into this level of self-love and kind of getting with the, the real, which is, hold on a minute, that's, that's the false carry. That's, that's not the real McCoy, right? That is deserving of loving and is loving and is loved, inherently loved and is love all the time, every day, you know, 24-7. When you think about your mother, what would you say is sort of the most um, important curriculum that she's put in your path as far as it relates to the mother wound? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, my, yeah, absolutely. Is um, my mom is more of a warrior spirit so and I know that on her journey she was called up to stand up and fight for what she knew was right Mm -hmm. because you can imagine you know she didn't intend for that to happen and then all of a sudden she's got a baby she had to stand up she chose to stand up there's lots of other women that let their kids be abused my mom was not one of them she's like nope I'm getting my kid out of here so my mom has always been really strong in that way although she doesn't see herself as strong all the time she has a different idea about who she is. But um, she, to me, was always a person that was able to, she doesn't shy away from conflict. Like she'll stand her ground and she'll actually speak up and she'll even get feisty, you know, like very feisty. So with my mom, I had to learn because I was a very sensitive child and from all of the things that I was witnessing and hearing in the house and scared. And so it was like I was withdrawing inside of myself. Mm -hmm. Then I had to learn how to stand up for myself. Like I said, like when I married somebody who was constantly picking, picking, picking at me, like pick, 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 you know, it's like, oh, you know, and, and I had to, I had to find a way to stand up and speak and be in my love, but also 
like not do this fawn response. Like I was always doing this fawn or this pleaser response to try to get out of conflict because mm-hmm. I was always trying to run away from the conflict. Cause when I was a little kid, conflict was scary, right? right. Like conflict, people are going to die, you know? So then my brain's trained, like run away from conflict, hide from it, be nice, try to get out of it. Like anything you can do to avoid the conflict. Then I had to retrain myself to stand up to the conflict. Like to go through the conflict, to speak something that somebody might not like, to do something that somebody might not like, to make somebody angry potentially, and that I would be okay even as I did that. And I think that that journey that I've taken is similar for so many women because we've been trained to avoid conflict, that we're not strong enough physically, we're not, you know, like to go into verbal sparring with men. It's like I had a verbal sparring relationship with my former husband for like 20 years, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that this is just a journey of a woman to claim her power and to do it in a way that's authentic. And for me, like I needed to heal so many um, defense mechanisms and manipulation strategies that I used in order to avoid conflict and, and still try to get my way through some pleasing behavior or some fawning or something like that. I do so much healing on myself just to be able to stand in my power and speak my truth and know my heart and let the rest of it go. Like that took my whole life <laughs> to figure out how to do that. But that is sovereignty. That's what that is. That's right. It's not to say everyone's going to agree with me. But and a lot of people don't agree with me. And who says that's a bad thing? Why do we want everyone to agree with us? Aren't we allowed to enjoy the diversity of opinion? Right? And um, where and how did we make that an issue that we can't respect the diversity of opinion and thought? And that we can just stand in that sovereign opinion uh, based on our, our, our path. You know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about my upbringing and how it's a vast difference from your mother. You know, I grew up with a lot of physical abuse. And um, I remember my abusers, I won't say who, but my parents would say, you know, oh, well, you, you um, provoked because I was this skinny girl who was like a gymnast and really active. And the other people in my household, one person in particular was not so much and a big bully. And, and, um, and it was dangerous. I mean, it was, it was incredibly violent. And at times um, I'm, you know, I think back and I go, I'm really lucky to be alive. And my mother was someone who didn't stop. She might, you know, scream, but then she'll go the other way and run and close the door because she just doesn't know what to do amidst the the violence that's the this horrific outbreak of of physical violence and i just think wow what would my upbringing how would my my shaping of thought be different my considerations in the world be different my perceptions if my mom actually put that that stake right in the ground and said I'm out of here, no more, or I'm going to protect you. And I remember I'd go to school with these sort of bruises or a cast and my, um, this, um, this um, um, human resources woman would uh, pull me aside and she'd say, you know, she never asked, you know, what was going on. She'd just say, are you okay? And I'd say, yeah, I'm fine. And she'd say, 
do I need to call someone? And I'd say, no, it's okay. And um, I, I, for me, it was sort of a internal fight to um, stay rooted in my sovereign knowing that that providence that existed within me that was like, I know this is wrong and I know I'm not what they um, place upon me, that I am, I am the light, that we're all the light and you can't try to beat out someone else's light unless you don't know you're the light too, you know? And, exactly. Right? But you hit on something really important, which is that this is the time for women and mothers to stand in our power and say enough. That's right. You know, that's what's needed. And that's what my mom did. My mom stood in her power and she told this man who was six foot something, and my mom's like five foot two. She stood up to this man and she said, that's enough. I am leaving you and I will not tolerate this anymore. And, you know, he got down on his knees and just and cried like a baby because he was just so, you know, I mean, it comes from insecurity. So it's like we, we need to stand in our power. Women have been disempowered for so long that maybe we forgot how to stand in our power, but we have to do it now. And the indigenous women stand in their power. And when it's when it's enough, they tell their men that's enough. Stop. Mm -hmm. Stop building. Stop cutting down forests. Stop raping the earth. Stop hurting our kids. Stop. 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 And that's enough. And we have to have the strength to do that now as Western women. We have to say enough. All of us as women. Absolutely. And particularly, yes, I second that as Western women. Let's... Uh, shift gears a little bit and, and talk about the power of forgiveness because it's this very taggy word, just like love is a taggy, you know, word. But when we can really get down to the core essence of what forgiveness is, I mean, it could, can transform your life. And you bring up in your book a very important part of, of really healing the mother wound and just plain healing, period, which is to forgive without an apology. And that really landed for me because when I kind of think about my, even my upbringing, like I shared, I remember I was picking up my mother one time, um, up, I was picking her up from the airport to visit. And I was in this space some years ago where I said, you know what? There was just this elephant in the room of everything that went down and it's never been talked about. And it needs to be talked about because we can't have this sort of um, state of positive, you know, toxicity or toxic positivity, I should say, right? Where everything, everything's great. And it's just like, you know, beaver cleaver, like everything's great, <laughs> you know, and, um, and not, and not really hit it head on and, and open up that can and just see what's in there for everybody. And so when I picked her up from the airport, I said, you know, we were talking about it and she said, you know, I'd like you to get along with so-and-so. And I said, you know, do you understand why I don't talk to this person? And she said, that never happened. And I said, you weren't there. And I started displaying, and I started explaining all these events where it was purposely taking place when she wasn't there by this person. And, um, and you know, she just couldn't come to grips that that was the truth. And I said, I am going to turn this car around if you don't admit that at least 
you don't know what happened and you just want to pretend that it didn't happen. And finally she came to and she said, you know what? I just crying in her tears. It's just this really intense uh, emotional outburst on the freeway. <laughs> and she said, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I, she grew up with her father dying in front of her when she was 14, her closest cousin drowning in front of her when she was 16. And she just had a slew of tragedies and she just was taught. She was conditioned to bury and not talk about the sort of tragedies that were in front of her very eyes. And so then it came time for her to be married and have her own children. And here we are again. And she didn't recognize the pattern she was running for many years, you know, on until she is talking to her, you know, 40 something year old daughter. So that's a lot. And I just wanted to share that because it relates to your book talking about forgiving without an apology, because I wrote a letter to this person and I said, you know, as, as, as in respect to my mother, as, and I said, you know, she wants us to get along. And I said, the reason I don't talk to you is because of X, Y, and Z. And I wrote like a 10 page letter and I explained because of all these events and it's not safe every time I'm in your space, it's violent. And this person wrote back and said, none of these things ever happened. You're crazy. And my husband said, yep, yeah, you don't want to read the rest of that letter in which I didn't. But my point is I can forgive without ever getting that apology. And I have, because it, it frees us. It's like we are in prison until we can actually forgive that person where we will never get an apology from them. And so I've said a lot here, and I really want to hear your thoughts on this. And before you jump in, I just want to read something that you wrote in your book as it relates to forgiveness. And you say, to make yourself the accounter of another's wrongs is to replace yourself as the teacher of that person, which is a lie. And a lie is a burden on your soul. If you hold on to anger, resentment and a requirement that the uh, that another person repay you for this burden that you created from feeling wronged then you make yourself the teacher of this person which is false it's a lie and you become burdened by your own lie waiting wanting another person to pay for their wrongs that you perceived as making that person pay for what is your responsibility to surrender your judgments back to great spirit and ask for clarification and teaching so you can continue your soul's curriculum illuminated. To forgive another person, you say, is to realize that you were playing teacher and burdening yourself with lies that were causing great hurt to yourself. You can certainly discern when a person has gone astray from a teaching of great spirit. And yes, help this person in the way instructed by great spirit in that moment to illuminate them with realization. This is your gift. And this gift operates in higher consciousness. It does not operate in the game of holding others accountable. A lot to unpack there. And yeah, I there that, is. Yeah. I hope my yeah. gave some sort of um, there, civilization for a response, I guess. You know, this is I'll, the the way I'm going to answer that question is I think that there's another 
aspect of that conversation, which is a metaphor. And it's kind of like, this is why humanity is so, um, up until now, stuck in cycles of abuse is because of this um, holding on to resentments and grudges about what other people have done and, you know, and making them accountable and not being happy and to let it go until the other person's paid for it somehow and that you know that they've paid for it, right? And so then you have to go back into lifetimes with these people that you couldn't forgive in the one lifetime to have at it again, but now you have amnesia again so that the whole dynamic happens all over again. And it just keeps happening until you're able to actually like let it go and forgive it because it's not really, it's not your job to make somebody else wrong or, or accountable. So there's like this great metaphor that I got in that part of that same download, I think, where it was like, like, look at your hand of cards. Like if you were playing cards with somebody and, you know, like look at your karma cards. So like, just take a moment, everybody, and just like, you, you know, just imagine that you're holding a hand of cards and each one of those cards is some resentment you have towards somebody or that they need to account for, or they need to be right, you know, they need to fix it somehow or apologize or and, and you can see how many cards might be in your hand and just kind of let spirit guide you and seeing like, well, how many cards are in my hand? And now look at those cards and realize that we're playing Uno. Mm. Like, <laughs> we're playing Uno. I mean, like Uno is no cards left in my hand. I got a pure heart. Like I'm clear. So if you're holding all those cards, the only one suffering is you. Mm-hmm. You're holding the cards. The other person's not holding those cards. So, you know, who, how do you know? I mean, now here's, here's a, here's a real brain twister. That person in your life, that's narcissistic. I would call it narcissistic abusive, right? Somebody who does, will not apologize for what they did or even admit that they did it and will flat out say they didn't do it right Right. when asked. Right. Right. So, so many people are talking about narcissist abuse and all that kind of stuff. What if that soul actually chose to come into this lifetime to be that role because you asked them to be that for you so that you would learn how to speak your truth and hold your boundaries? So they didn't do anything wrong in that case. Yeah. It's just you saying they did because you don't like the experience of what you asked them to do for you. (laughs) I mean, God, mic drop. Just let it happen. Mic drop. And people go, well, wait a minute, That's, but do you know what happened to me? I, I concur, Carrie, and, and thank you for saying that because, well, I can just say, I wouldn't be even sitting here talking to you if I didn't have that experience growing up because it wouldn't motivate me to go the spiritual path to really seek to know thyself. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Well, I don't need to seek to know thyself but because these people over here are telling me that I'm a piece of junk and I'm not worth living. I got to find out if that's true. I got I got to know if that's really true. <laughs> and so far, you're the one who has to know that. And I got to know that. You're not going to find it from that other person. So like oftentimes when we're um I just believe that our soul's curriculums are matched with our abilities as souls. So mm-hmm. like whatever previous life experiences we have, we have if we're having a really big challenge in this life, we already have in our tool bag what we need to counter that challenge as a soul. We got it. 
Otherwise, nobody's given more work than they can handle. Like guaranteed, I know that's not, I just know it. We're not, so this whole question of it's not fair. And I want to say, I was a it's not fair person for a good part of my life. So I get anybody that's out there that's still in the it's not fair conversation. I understand that conversation very well. And that's not a conversation that's going to progress you forward. So the conversation is going to progress any person forward is life is totally fair. Mm -hmm. Life is totally fair. Mm -hmm. That means that anything you see happening out there that you think should not be so, Mm -hmm. you have to look at your judgment of it and go, wait a second, I know life is totally fair and I don't know how that's fair, but I'm not the universe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't have that eagle eye vision. I don't know like why that's happening. Maybe five lifetimes ago, this person was so torturous to other people and now they get to experience the flip side and they get to be tortured. So like, I don't know why that is. It's not for me to say, does that mean that I stop my quest to make life fair? No, I still show up as an example of love and light and personal growth and all the things I stand for inside my very being. I just don't also, I, it's a skinny path. I want to say like, this is such a skinny path. It's so skinny because you're con- like, as I walk this path, I'm constantly like, okay, I will see something that I'm judging. It's not that I don't judge. I judge plenty. Yeah. I see things. I, I interviewed somebody the other day on my show who has this um, program called Days for Girls. And she told me about how these girls in, in like in some country in Africa didn't have, they were in an orphanage didn't and didn't have pads didn't have anything for their periods and left for days inside a room can't leave the room no food no water and just left to bleed on cardboard what oh. why I, of course had a judgment a lot of judgments because anyway well it's it's resolved through this story that she tells which is really fascinating about how she invented a reusable pad so that these girls could go to school instead of being stuck inside a room where they have no access to school because they have their period so but you know there's a nice happy ending to it but like who I had all these judgments like who would let kids be in there in the room like that and sitting in a squalor like that and and a country was telling me about countries where people put their women out in the shed with the animals while they're having their period and all of this terrible stuff and I thought I have such huge judgment for that I'm really judging that right now Mm -hmm. and I asked her I said well you've clearly worked through these judgment issues like can you fill us in like how do we not judge that right because I'm judging it right and as a woman, I'm really judging it. So she actually, it was a great interview. She might be great for your podcast. But anyway, I feel like these are questions that we are, you know, this is consciousness. Consciousness is exploring itself. It wants to understand itself. It wants, you know, as souls, we sign up to have experiences so we can understand what that experience is like because maybe we had the flip side of the coin some other life. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were the abuser and now we want to know what it feels like to be abused. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. So the only way for us to know it is to experience experience it so we you know this is really this is not a spiritual bypass this is actually like the deepest road of acceptance there is is to say everything that is happening should be happening because life is totally fair and it is happening therefore it must be supposed to happen because Mm -hmm. life is fair Mm -hmm. and at the same time hold the highest 
for the highest good and the highest outcome and for people to ascend consciousness and for, you know, for love to be the language and for peace to be on earth. I mean, all of that at the same time as life is totally fair and yeah, it sucks and yeah, this is happening and yeah, I've got judgments about it and yeah, it must be true. It must need to happen even though I disagree. That's right. Oh, so well said, Carrie. And again, just to use myself as sort of the example in this podcast, as you're talking, it's like, yeah, my upbringing where I was just beat down physically, emotionally, mentally, mostly physically, um, because I, I, you know, I, I thank God had the gumption of knowing, well, wait a minute, this person's nuts and um, that's not true, but get me out of this sort of you know, hellhole and I'll go next door to my neighbor and play some Atari for three hours until my parents get home, <laughs> you know, but, but my point is all those experiences that I had, I truly believe from that spiritual parlance are divinely ordered. And as you say, fair, because they all um, perfectly weave in this curriculum that is my my very clear purpose, which is to speak my truth and stand in the integrity of my truth. And whether or not people like me or not, whether or not, you know, one person listens to my podcast or 1 million, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because I'm listening. (laughs) And at first and foremost, it's for me and my healing. And if I'm healing, then I can help others heal. Right. And so I think of all the experiences I had growing up where they tried to beat my sort of my voice out of me. Right. And then I developed Hashimoto's as an adult. Well, what is Hashimoto's but the thyroid, which is the Vashuda, which is speaking your truth, clear communication. And then I said, hold on a minute. I got to a place after 20 years and I said, I'm going to heal this. I'm just, I don't know how, but I'm done. I'm done taking pharmaceuticals. I'm done being sick. I'm done telling that story. And I'm just going to find a way. And I did. And I healed, I healed my thyroid. And, and then I go and become a minister. And lo and behold, what is the, the ministry? My ministerial blessing is to stand in the integrity of my truth and to speak it and share it with the world. Hello. So then I go, okay. But I couldn't get to this place until I walked through the fire and stepped on the really hot coals and got some wounds. But I needed those wounds so I could experience the process, the divine process of healing. So, amen. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's so important for us to see through those different eyes. Those are soul's curriculum eyes. When we see through the human eyes, everything is really personal and really precious and really vulnerable and it hurts and it's painful and it's dense and you know and so that is one experience that's one aspect of our experience but when we can elevate to see through the soul's eyes that is a very love is fierce like i'll say it again love is fierce and so you will be brought to your knees with the curriculum that you chose so because you wouldn't want it any other way when you're not in this body and you're back sane again out, up in the ethers, you would look back and go, I was only one inch away. Yes, God, yes. I was one inch from unconditional love. I was one inch from total forgiveness. I was one inch from spiritual enlightenment. And so life is going to pound your ass until you get what you said you wanted, which was all those things. You said you wanted it. 
Mm-hmm. And you're going to get it, but there's only one path. You can't just get that by saying, tra-la-la-la-la, I'm going to go like hang out on the mountaintop. This is Earth. Up until now, as far as I've seen, Earth, this is how Earth works. <laughs> we get to decide how it works differently next. And I think we are moving into a new understanding. But for many of us, this is a time of culmination of lifetimes. You know, this is like a time of graduation. This is a time of reflection on a curriculum that's been in place for 2,000 years or more. So we get to step into a new curriculum where we are choosing collectively to step into. And some of us are maybe disagreeing. But, you know, there's other places in the galaxy for that kind of thing if you want to keep going with drama. But we're, we're moving into another understanding, right? And so this is part of the process of that. We've got to bring it all to closure, all the lessons that That's didn't right. get closed out. They got to happen now. There's and it's great. intense. It's intense. And it's not for the faint <gasps> part. But like you said, you no. wouldn't want it any other way. And for those that maybe are questioning and listening to this podcast and going like, this is just a bunch of like chicks wearing like, you know, feather <laughs> and talking about being hanging out with like the Hopis in a, in a fire ceremony, like, hold on a minute. Like, no, you know, the, everybody, every human being has to go through completions. And if you doubt that, mm-hmm. just look at every relationship you've ever had that ended, whether it be a month or two years or 50 years. You know, this this is a cycle there of many cycles of completions. And in those completions are divine um, lessons because, you know, and every- new beginnings and new beginnings. Yeah, because, you know, I'd rather be the one that is um, juiced up, excited about life, reconciled my past, integrated the lessons, gotten the gold, followed my heart to like a whole new calling, walked through magical doors, help create new magical doors for myself. I'd rather be that than the one that's still trapped in resentment and anger and watching all of my broadcasts. <laughs> like, I'd rather be the one that's free. Right. You know, and the thing is, all of us have the ability to set ourselves free at any time. We just have to choose to be free Mm -hmm. and then do the work. Yeah. What I'm hearing in your talking is, is sort of that ego play where, you know, that's that desire to be stuck and stayed and rooted in the sameness. It's just that it's just the ego play because the ego's main drive is comfortability and familiarity. So to change, for lack of a better word, it's like, go, yes, go be dangerous. Like, I invite you to be dangerous, just like the greatest artist you've ever seen, like the, like the Joker, right? Like, how dangerous is he in that film, right? And it's beautiful, and it's a work of art, and it's an incredible characterization. of It's a, it's a brilliant character portrayal, right? And it's like, we can reframe our idea of being dangerous so we're not safe and safe and quote unquote safe, you know, because you're really never yeah, there's no safety. No, thing, you know, no. it's like take, I, I mean, just dissolve that safety net that you think is underneath you because it doesn't exist. And it's just an idea. It's a safety net idea. You know, my dad was that safety net for most of my life. The man who is my dad from five years on five years old and on. And I did take risks knowing that he was there. I did. It, it did help me during the per- first part of my journey to take more risks because I knew if I failed, he would be there with his bank, you know, like to help me out if I needed some money. Yeah. 
But then, and then I got to this part of my spiritual path where that wasn't going to work anymore. And my dad didn't have the money to help me. And I got myself into so many scrapes and I was like up against it, being a healer, changing professions, being a single mom because I got divorced and all this chaos. And, and I was wondering if I was going to make the mortgage and you know, like, am I going to put food on the table and like all this fear, you know, because I had to step through that fear that was mine. Mm-hmm. And then when my dad left, when he went beyond the veil and he departed his physical body that was my like womanhood that came into being because now there was no more protection for me in the family right and everybody turned against me for a while Mm. and I had to walk through that fire of transformation to sovereignty to know my truth even if all of my family would turn their back on me And then I got the chance to do my inner reconciliation work with my mom and to heal the mother wound and to heal the idea I had made about my mother and to heal the ancestral ideas of women that were still living in my body. And all of that healing would never have happened if my dad had still been here because I would have been comfortable with my safety net. I would have been comfortable with my bridge. But because he left, I had to choose What is more important to me? The possibility of an authentic relationship with my mother, the possibility of an authentic life or staying, staying right here, stuck in the way it is. Right. It's like he gifted you the perfect um, exit, right? I can so relate. He did. You know, I lost my father when he was... When I was uh, 28 and he, we buried him on his 63rd birthday, he died two days before his 63rd birthday, which I personally find to be incredibly, incredibly spiritual and Buddhist in nature, I believe. It's like that perfect bodhisattva cyclical (laughs) um, completion, right? Coming into this world on your birthday and dying on your birthday. And he was not a quote unquote spiritual person at all. And yet he had an incredibly spiritual experience as he was leaving his body and saw all his friends and family on the other side. And we saw his soul, if you believe it to be so, leaving the top of his head like a light, just going at a trillion miles per hour out the ceiling. And we all almost fainted because it was like the pressure in the room was so immense that for the first time in my life, I thought, wow, this is what soul is. And I had no idea. I was absolutely dumbfounded at how we can contain like stuff, this massive force inside a physical like beanbag of a body. Like my dad used to say that. He used to say like, he said, I, he, for the last few years of his life, he told my mom, I'm so, I'm, I'm so uncomfortable inside this meat suit. Like it's oh. too tight. I can't stand it anymore. It's so tight. And you know, the thing about when he, I love, like when you shared how your dad died, it's like, oh gosh, it just feels like my dad. Like my dad, it was such a being of light, such a benevolent being of light. And when he passed away, he, um, we were all standing in the, first of all, he passed away. It was like a poof and then just like sparkled us in the whole room, just like, and he was gone. And we we're like, oh my God, he just died, you know? And, and then like a little while later, we we're all standing around his body holding hands and, um, and the priest or whatever, the person, the minister was saying some words. And I, I, I just kept hearing, 
my dad wanted us to do this thing we used to do at holiday. Mm. He, we used to hold hands around the dinner table and we used to shout at the top of our lungs, grace. So we'd be like, grace. And I could hear my dad saying that. And I was started, I like my smile, I started smiling and I look up and my brother had heard it too. And he looks at me and I'm like, did you hear it? And he's like, <laughs> like we were like he wants us to shout grace like but we couldn't do it it was in the middle of the emergency like in the middle of our you know people dying other people around so but it was so crazy that we could hear him say that and just like the energy of that like like celebrate me like celebrate my life celebrate my choice this is my birth back into spirit celebrate this and and we did, I did feel this, uh, this energy of like, wow, like it was so light. It was not heavy at all. It was like completely beautiful and light and just gorgeous. Oh, that's exquisite. Well, you know, we are light and that's just it. It's like, we can live heaven on earth and be that lightness of being. If we just allow ourselves, like really it's an allowing, like how much are you going to allow yourself? Are you going to go get yourself like a, a, a meal and call it, you know, nourishing, loving, an act of love by going to McDonald's? Or are you going to go, go to the farmer's market, get a real tomato and some live foods that are just smiling at you to be eaten and, and make yourself, you know, what is your heart's desire? Because you love yourself, because you deserve it, because you want to experience that light that is you. And the food is a reflection of that living love and light. Well, Carrie Hummingbird, you are sparkle dust. I have to say, <laughs> you are you are sparkle dust. Before you go, I like to just close on sort of a silver lining. Is there any encouragement that you feel that's present right now in your heart that you could offer, especially to women? As I would, I would guess. I don't. Well, I, I, my, my hunch says the majority of the people that are working, uh, the majority of the people that are listening to this podcast up to this point probably are mostly women. And if yeah. so, what can you offer to women so that they can really just own like full on whole hog it, their, their sovereign divine power? Yeah. Yeah. I would say like, if there's any time you could be incarnated on earth as a woman to honor your divine feminine sovereign being, this would be it. Like this is the best time. It's the turning of the ages. So what I would say is really relish it, really savor it. Even the most uncomfortable aspects of it that really piss you off. Like, especially those, like, savor the fact that, you know, some people want to restrict your freedoms and, and savor the fact that, you know, that some women are still being, um, treated so mistreated so badly. Like all of that is on the way out mm-hmm. it is on the way out. It can be no other way because we collectively decided that we would be sovereign and we collectively decided that, that we're returning to the divine feminine. And, you know, Mother Earth is reclaiming herself and we are part of her. So, you know, this is all just sort of like the little song and dance. You know, if you ever do like any kind of entity healing, I know you, you've had some entity healing stuff like or have seen it or witnessed it or been part of it and done it for other people. Mm-hmm. 
they they love to be seen on the way out. Like they just there's just something about it. Like they just yeah. gotta like song and dance and show off and be like la la la. I was here, you know. Like look at me, I was doing this, and I'm the I'm the big bad one that's scary. And you know they love to do that on the way out. And that's kind of what we're seeing in the collective right now. But like earlier today, White Eagle was telling me White Eagle's my over soul and my guide, and White Eagle was giving me an image of like just like almost like sheep like bursting into rainbows like just like sheep just like all of a sudden like bursting into these rainbow palettes of color just like all over the planet just like from nothing to like burst of light and and he was saying to me if you could only see what we see up here like on the outside of this 3D reality, if you could, we are seeing rainbows, we are seeing awakenings, we are seeing like blasts of light, we are seeing so much beauty from here. It's like, it's like a fireworks show on earth is Mm -hmm. what I heard. And so we just have to get out of our, um, our, our three-dimensional minds to mm. realize what's actually happening right now is extremely exciting and it is happening now it, through all of what looks like disaster is it's happening so rainbows everywhere all through the shit is the rainbow so just enjoy the ride while we yeah. head on into the age of aquarius <laughs> yes amen celebrate and declare by god declare that this is your truth yep Carrie hummingbird love you to bits uh, and I just, I can't wait for people to get a hold of your book. I'm not just saying that as the podcast host, this is one of the best books I've read in terms of healing Aww. wounds. So thank you. And it's just, uh, it's a treasure for anyone that picks this up. May it serve them well. Be the best. Thank you. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform. Or go to spiritualgeekout.com.